Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to episode 69 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins of Over the Monster. Matt, it is opening day. How are you, buddy? It is. I'm a little better just finding out that this is episode 69. That kind of brightens my day a little bit. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the nice the nice yeah. episode. So um, yeah, uh, baseball is back. We are super excited about that. This has seemed like, and especially to you, Matt, with you having to write as much as you do, uh, it seemed probably like the longest winter of your life, right? Uh, yeah. I think the weather might have played a bigger role than the baseball to be honest but yeah it's nice that everything's kind of coming together in spring starting yeah definitely um the game today could have gone a little bit better for the red sox certainly not a great feeling to kick off the season with a loss uh funny enough i don't know if you, you saw this but at the beginning of the Nesson broadcast they were talking about how the red sox are 58 58 and one before today on opening day and uh they they dropped below 500 for their opening day record now I did see that. It's, uh, it's time to take a good hard look at the organizational philosophy now. Yeah. Below 500 on opening day. Yeah, let's get Dombrowski out of here. We can't <laughs> have that. Um, so anyhow, I, I thought we should just jump right into it. So the Red Sox ended up losing today. Uh, like we said, they lost the game 6-4 to four, uh, in large part due to just a, a terrible eighth inning by the team. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about what the biggest takeaways you had from this uh, game were today. Yeah, so um, I think 
I mean, the bullpen was obviously the story, but for me, the biggest takeaway was the offense. Um, we've heard ever since Alex Cora and this new coaching staff has come in that they're going to be more aggressive and it's going to be a new approach. And it showed big time today. They were all over pitches in the beginning accounts. Over the first, like, four innings, I think, I saw on Twitter that they had taken two called strikes all game. Um, they were all over everything. Mookie Betts swung at the first pitch of the game, fastball down the middle, and he smoked it. Uh, Kiermaier made a great catch, so it didn't really matter. But uh, it wasn't all talk of um, this new approach stuff. Um, it's It looks very real, and it looks like it's going to pay off. Yeah, it really does. Um, it, I, I totally agree with you. I think that um, that was apparent right away. Uh, I really thought that ball from Mookie was going to go out. Kiermaier is just incredible, though, out there. Uh, it was a great catch by him. Um, everybody hit the ball pretty hard when they did connect with it today. And this team has the guys that if you don't take bad strikes, um, you can do damage. And I think... The, the biggest takeaway I had from this game was Xander Bogarts just absolutely tattooing a few balls. He ended up with three hits on the day, uh, two doubles, which were absolutely smoked. I think that first one especially uh, probably would have cleared the fence if it just had a little bit more loft on it. I mean, that thing was absolutely smacked. Um, he looks completely different. And the thing that I noticed, too, was whenever they would pan over to the dugout, uh, Bogarts was always next to Cora chatting with him. So I think that this is going to be a really positive thing for him to have the influence of Cora trying to get him to be more aggressive and Tim Hires, the hitting coach, trying to, you know, talk about how he can loft the ball a little bit more. I, I think it's all going to pay off. Yeah. Um, Bogarts was definitely going to be, uh, my next choice, but, um, I really didn't want to get too carried away with anything after one game um but it's kind of hard not to be excited about Bogarts right now like you said he put uh two great swings on the ball with those two doubles but also his he had a single in this game too and he looked a lot like the Bogarts from the last few years in that where he got to a two strike count and he kind of shortened his swing fouled a bunch of pitches off and then just took a good pitch and hit a little line drive the other way for a base hit. And, I mean, if he's going to be able to go back and forth between, obviously it's not going to be this good all the time, but going between this guy who can jump on early pitches and crush it and then go to that singles hitter, two-strike hitter like that, um, it's going to be a special year for him. Yeah, it really could be. That could, I mean, it could be the makings of a year where he hits – well over 300 with a lot of pop if he can combine both of those things and that's always sort of been the dream with Xander Bogarts is you know is he going to be the slap hitter is he going to be the power hitter or can he do both and combine them and switch up in game and it's really hard to do that but there are a few guys who have that skill set and I think that Bogarts is certainly one of them um what was your uh, second biggest takeaway Matt um I'll probably go with Chris Sale. Um, I mean, he kind of got lost in all this bullpen nonsense, but Sale was really good today, which wasn't unexpected, but it was still awesome to watch. It was nice to be able to see that kind of uh, 
vintage early 2017 Chris Sale. Um, and the crazy thing is, is that he didn't really have his command. He his fastball wasn't really locating like it usually does, and he still threw six shutout innings with nine strikeouts and the only hit he allowed was a weak ground ball that Eduardo Nunez probably should have gotten to and any other second baseman probably would have gotten to. So the fact that it was like a lesser version of Chris Sale and he still did that is a nice reminder that the Red Sox have a horse at the top of their rotation. Yeah, he's absolutely filthy. That slider was ridiculous today. It's uh, It's always just... You forget kind of how good it is until you see it again, and then you're like, holy shit, how does anyone make contact with that pitch? And, yeah, it's you know, stupid. Very few people do, so I guess that's it. Um, with, with Sale today, though, I, I did notice that, and I was listening to the game uh, in the car for the first couple innings, and uh, there were situations where he had guys in a two-strike count where usually, you know, sharpest version of Chris Sale you'd think that he would be able to put those guys away right away. And it was taking him a couple extra pitches today to do that. So I think that maybe the efficiency wasn't quite there. Like you said, his fastball wasn't locating like it can when he has everything working. But, like, to be honest, we don't want the version of Chris Sale where everything's clicking right now. We want Chris Sale to be fine until, you know, the end of the year when we need Chris Sale to be the dude. And if... If he can cruise and have outings like this this year uh, where he, you know, pitches effectively and maybe isn't completely wearing himself out, I'm all for that. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's pretty clear that the Red Sox agreed they took him out. Uh, I think he threw 92 pitches. So last year he definitely would have been out there for at least one more inning, possibly two more. So it's uh, the Red Sox are going to pace themselves with sale this year. Yeah, that's the smart thing to do, especially with a, a guy of his talent. You need to maximize that. Uh, my second biggest takeaway from this game was that freaking inside the park home run by uh, Eduardo oh, Nunez. That thing was ridiculous. So um, it really was surprising uh, considering the outfielders who didn't make that play, Kiermaier and Span. You know, both of those guys are pretty good out there, and you would expect that they would be able to figure that out. But I guess, uh, you know, first time playing together, so they, they screwed that up a little bit. But my biggest takeaway was Nunez is freaking healthy, man. That knee looks incredible. I, I mean, I didn't have a watch on the guy, but there aren't too many guys getting around the bases faster than Nunez did today. Yeah, that was uh, encouraging. And um, I think my favorite part of that play was, I don't know if you noticed this, but as soon as it got past the outfielders. They were showing Bogarts running home, and he was already telling Nunez that he was going to score. He was already <laughs> waving over. Nunez had like just rounded first base, and Bogarts already knew what was going to happen. Um, yeah, that was awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I haven't had an opportunity to watch it again and see that, but I'm going to be looking for that. I did. You know what my favorite part though of that play was when um, he he slid into home and he got up and he just had that giant Nunez smile oh, on his yeah. face. You know, he, that guy just brings so much freaking joy to the game. And it's amazing. It's just so great to see him back with the club. It, you know, it sucks that Pedroia's not in here, but if there's anybody who can kind of replace Pedroia for that time period, it's this guy. Yeah, it seems like he's uh he's really close with the entire infield too. Devers and Bogarts, um they are really close with them, which is nice that 
there's kind of that veteran with them even while Pedroia's out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's going to be important yeah, for that team chemistry. Um, yeah, it's it's huge. It's awesome to have him back, and especially on a short money deal like he got. I mean, can't ask for better than that. Um, what about your last takeaway, Matt, from the game? Uh, so I guess we've been pretty positive so far, but overall this is a shitty game, so probably have to go negative here and say that while we're not going to take anything too much away from one game um the bullpen was worrisome uh joe kelly was not good he couldn't throw strikes against a lineup that hadn't done anything all day and there was really no reason to challenge them and then carson smith walked a guy with the bases loaded and then allowed a triple to denied span who is well past his prime and wasn't that great of a hitter in his prime. Um, So it was just one bad day, but um, there was a little bit of reason to be concerned about this bullpen regressing, and the first sample we got was not good. Yeah, we were talking a little bit offline about this, uh, about the Joe Kelly thing, and you know, I've made my feelings clear about Joe Kelly last podcast. I just never feel safe when he's in the game, and I don't want to overreact to something that's a small sample size because Joe did have a pretty good season last year. It does just seem that he has such a small margin of uh, for error because his fastball comes in flat a lot. He is uh, he's, he's capable of giving up doubles, home runs, uh, really at any time, and when that control goes with the flat fastball, it can be really damaging. And we were talking about this a little bit before, and I think it's worth mentioning bringing up again. Uh, today he threw a lot of two-seam fastballs. And traditionally, well, he started off his career as a two-seam guy, switched to a four-seam guy for the last couple of years, and it seems like he's in the midst of a transition back to being a two-seam guy, which is really interesting. So. It's clear to me that the Red Sox have identified that, hey, your four seam might be close to 100 miles an hour, but that sucker's flat a lot of the time, so maybe we need to do something about this. And they're switching him back to a two seam, but it was very clear today that he did not have a feel for that pitch. And for a guy who's going to be pitching seventh, eighth inning for this team, who expects to contend, I don't know if you can have a guy tinkering with pitches in that important of a spot right now. Yeah, I don't think they're going to give him a ton of chances to do that. Um, I will say, I think people have been kind of overstating the situation that Kelly was brought into when he was first brought into the game. And Core's gotten some criticism for bringing Kelly in in the first place. Um, the Red Sox were up 4 to nothing against the team. Like I said, they hadn't done anything all day. And it was their eight, nine, and one hitters coming up, and the Rays' leadoff hitter is Matt Duffy, who is not that intimidating. No. That's not a super high leverage spot. Um, so I saw some people say that they were calling Joe Kelly the eighth inning guy because he was brought into the eighth inning of this game, but I mean, I didn't really get that impression at all. If anything, I kind of got the impression that he was fourth on the bullpen depth chart behind Barnes because it was 3 nothing, I believe when Barnes came in actually they might have just been 4 nothing, but Matt Barnes was warming up before that anyways so 
I definitely not feeling great about Joe Kelly right now, but I also don't think that the Red Sox have him as a um, incredibly important part of this bullpen, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense, and I, I think that Cora is probably not in love with Joe Kelly. Cora is very much still filling out this unit, and if he decides that he doesn't feel like he can trust Kelly in important situations, he's probably not going to go with him for that much longer. And you mentioned a guy, I mean, Barnes. Barnes pitched awesome today when he came in. He looked great. 13 pitches, 9 strikes, very easy inning for him. Um, you know, it, it some people might be asking why wouldn't they just leave him in since he cruised with just 13 pitches, but it is super early in the year. So, um, you know, it's, it's very understandable. And like you mentioned, I mean, Kelly coming in in a, a four run game is, is not a high leverage spot at all against the weak lineup. It, sh- it certainly shouldn't be considered that. So yeah, I totally agree. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the bullpen pans out but that's something to keep an eye on and we should continue to monitor the joe kelly pitch selection and uh sort of how he's being used the guy i'm not worried about that you mentioned though is carson smith like you know he did walk a guy he gave up a hit but like that to me was much less troubling than what joe kelly got himself into yeah i mean i think that's true but i think i mean that's setting the bar pretty low, right? Um, yeah, I guess when it, when a guy has a 108 ERA in the first game. Yeah, I mean, the bar low. look, I'm not super worried about Smith, but I mean, this is a situation where you had to go and you had to throw strikes. He came in with the bases loaded and he walked the guy, and then he left a pitch directly in the middle of the zone to span. He just made a bad pitch, and I, that happens, but. It's the only, it's the only thing we've seen from him this year. So, mm-hmm. it, it's not. It's way too early to write him off. I still think he's has the best chance of being the second best reliever in this bullpen, and he should be the de facto eighth inning guy or whatever you want to call it at this point. But um, it was a little concerning, mostly the not throwing strikes fight. Um, I mean, I've said it a few times already but you just you have to throw strikes in these situations against a lineup that really isn't that scary make them beat you yeah and span did it was a bad pitch but at least it was a strike yeah you gotta challenge guys like this i mean denard spans 34 years old and he's had a weak bat for his whole career those are the guys you want to challenge and you know just throw him a steady diet of high heat that i mean the guy probably can't catch up to that shit anymore um so my final takeaway, I'm going to go negative here too, and this is super anecdotal, very, very early, and I know you're going to hate this, Matt, but oh, I oh. thought Hanley Ramirez's bat speed looked really freaking slow today. And I, I'm hoping that this is just like wicked anecdotal stuff right here, nothing to make of it, but I mean, the guy has had a million freaking shoulder surgeries, and I am just a little bit concerned that... There's not that much juice left to squeeze out of out of Hanley. Yeah, I'm not worried. It was Chris Archer. He Chris Archer makes a lot of guys look bad. The Red Sox lineup really wasn't that great today. They had uh, a pretty big third inning. Bogarts was good. Devers had a couple good swings, but other than that, it wasn't it wasn't a super impressive day. Chris Archer was really good. So if this is still happening after about a week, maybe we can talk. But I don't know if. Uh, one of the better starting pitches in the American League, shutting down Hanley Ramirez is going to be something I'm too concerned with. 
Yep, it's a it's it's certainly a good point, and we shouldn't overreact to uh, a small sample size. But you know what? When you have a podcast to do, sometimes <laughs> you got to. That's fair. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit more about the bullpen. Um, getting away from the game for a second, uh, the roster decisions were made. Last time we were talking about this, we mentioned uh, a few of the bullpen spots being open. We sort of predicted that it would be Bobby Pointer and Brandon Workman getting those last two spots. Uh, we were right on Bobby Pointer, but the guy who you did not care for, Marcus Walden, who I have to call you out for, Matt. Yeah, I know. I, I need it. It's fair. It's fair. Um, he actually did make the roster, which was a little surprising to a lot of people. And he certainly has pitched extremely well this spring, uh, regardless of who that was against. But, I mean, Cora trusts him. Cora thinks that he earned a spot on the team, and so he does get a spot on the team. Um, what are your thoughts on Walden and Pointer being added to the roster? Um, so I was surprised by both. I didn't think Pointer was going to make it either. Um, but I'll get to that in a second. I think Walden, it's really cool that he made it. He's a really cool story. Um, he almost quit playing baseball a few years ago. He was in indie ball. Um, he cried when he found out that he made the active roster. Um, so it's awesome that he made it. I think that he made it because the Red Sox have Brian Johnson and Hector Velasquez in their rotation to start the year. Mm-hmm. And they want somebody who can come out of the bullpen and throw three, four, five innings in relief if they need it. Um, and it was either going to be Walden or Justin Haley for that role. And Walden was impressive in a similar role last year. He's a little bit older. He had a really good spring. Um, so it kind of makes sense. I don't think he's going to be up super long. I think if and when the rotation gets back to full health, They'll go with a more conventional bullpen, and we'll see Brandon Workman. But I hope Walden gets at least one chance to get in the game because he got called up for Toronto four or five years ago but never got to pitch in a game. So I just really hope that doesn't happen to him again. That would be kind of shitty. It does seem like he has sort of reinvented himself, though, and he is a little bit of a different guy than he was with Toronto. So... There is, you know, some chance that he can stay effective, and it would be really cool to see that. It would be almost the Daniel Nava version of uh, in the bullpen, you know. That would be be pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, story. for sure. I don't think he would get sent down for bad performance. Um, to be clear, I think it's just his role is something that's needed right now, and it might not be needed uh, in a few weeks. Who knows? These two guys could end up being more reliable than Joe Kelly by the end of the year. <laughs> It's not impossible, I'll say that. Certainly not. Um, All right, so let's uh, move on. We did this article uh, on Over the Monster about superlatives where we sort of went through as a site uh, and ranked, you know, who we thought was going to be the most important players on the team this year. So we did um, MVP of the team, best pitcher, defensive wizard, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and unsung hero. Uh, you, the listeners, also helped us out with this by doing your own community vote on all these things. Matt, I wanted to talk to you. Were there any surprises for you in the MVP category? Um, I was surprised that Betts didn't run away with it more. I mean, he was the he got 
two of the staff picks and the community voted for him. He got forty percent of that vote. Um JD Martinez, actually I'm just noticing this now. JD Martinez got the majority of the staff picks. I don't yeah, know. That was surprising that, to me. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I don't know how I'm just noticing that now. Yeah, Mookie Betts is the best player on the Red Sox, and I don't think it's particularly debatable. He is. He he definitely is. He's got the highest ceiling. He's got the 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 highest floor. I mean, he's just he's the complete package here. Um, JD Martinez could be awesome with the bat, and I hope he is. Um, but the the fact that Mookie Betts gives you completely elite defense plus elite offense, uh, dangerous on the base paths, everything he does is is huge. I ended up picking. Xander Bogarts for that because I am such a believer in the skill set that Xander has. I think it's a really rare one, and I think that if he can finally put together this whole package this year, that things could get pretty dangerous for him. But I agree, the the common sense pick there is what the community went with and what you went with, which is Mookie Betts, and I think that that's just about as safe a pick. I mean, I I expect Betts to be 2016 Betts this year or or better. Yeah. Uh. Well, I don't know. 2016 might be as good as it gets, which was obviously outstanding. But I would say, at the very least, it'll be closer to 2016 than 2017. Best pitcher? Almost everybody went with Chris Sale. Mike went with David Price. Fucking uh, Mike. <laughs> no. Uh, the community, 73% of you. Uh, the, that other uh, 27% is a bunch of lunatics. Um, Chris Sale is the best pitcher on this team and is not even remotely close. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of, if I wanted to be a contrarian, I could see the argument for Kimbrel on like a per inning basis, but nah, it's, it's Chris Sale. Everything Kimbrel can do, Sale can do better. Well, Kimbrel strikes out more. Uh, forget it. Chris Sale's the answer. Chris Sale's incredible. It's the part. Defensive wizard. This one shocked me. Yeah. I was the only person, including the community to go with Mookie Betts here for defensive wizard. I mean, what the hell were y'all thinking? This guy is the best defensive player on the team, and it's not even close. All right. So I picked Christian Vasquez, and I mostly buy into the framing stuff from baseball perspectives. And if you buy into that, then there is nothing – on, there's nobody on a baseball field more valuable than a good defensive catcher. And so that kind of made my pick. I also thought that everybody was going to pick Bookie Betts and that it was going to be a runaway vote, and I kind of wanted to change it up a little bit. Little and did then, I know. And then that, no one did but me. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty wild. But, I mean, I kind of stand by the Vasquez pick. I can see the logic for Bradley, too. Just if people are stuck in really believing that center field has to be a better defensive player than right field. Um, I'm not sure that's the case here, but I kind of see the logic, I guess. I, I think that Jackie can make plays uh, throughout the year that definitely are more sexy, more eye-popping than some of the plays that Mookie will make. Um, but especially when you consider where both of these guys play. I mean, Fenway's right field is a big right field. It's a tough right field to play. You need a guy who's really good defensively out there like Mookie Betts is. So I think if, if anything, his defense sort of gets underrated um, by the casual fan. Probably. I mean, to be fair, Fenway is a huge center field, too. Yeah. 
No, it is. It is. It's very. It's a difficult park to play. I think it's difficult in all all positions of the outfield. Even people give left field all the credit in the world for being easy, but you have to figure out how to play that wall. Yeah, but you also don't really have to move, which is a pretty nice little uh, advantage, though. Yeah, which is why we loved Manny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Manny and his outfield assists. I will never forget all those outfield assists. For biggest surprise, uh, you went with Hanley. That was very predictable for yeah, you because you're a Hanley guy. Uh, I went with Bogarts. Uh, out of left field went with Bogarts. Michelle went with Bogarts. And the community went with Bogarts. It seems like the consensus here is bogey for biggest surprise. People are buying into the fact that Tim Hires is going to change this guy and that Core is going to make him more aggressive. Yeah, um... I wasn't very surprised, which kind of makes me seem like he wasn't a very good pick for biggest surprise because everybody, it seems like, I mean, it's but he had at least in the, runs. yeah, I think it's, uh, I'm kind of biased because I talk to a lot of people from the OTM community and that's not necessarily always a good snapshot of the Red Sox fan base at large, but, um, the OTM community is definitely high on Bogarts. So I, I got to tell you, I have kept a toe in a bunch of the different fantasy communities that I'm involved with uh, at a few different sites. And uh, I play in a lot of leagues with guys nationally. And people are really, really down on Xander Bogarts right now. After last year, there are a ton of people nationally, and we are definitely in the minority here over the monster we believe in the talent. We've always believed in the talent. We thought last year was an aberration because he gets hit in, hit in the hand. But there's a lot of people who look at Bogarts and they say he is what he is at this point. He is closer to that 11 home run guy that he was last year than he is to being any semblance of an MVP candidate. And I think that we sort of have been stuck in that bubble of believing in the talent. So when you look at it from a national perspective – it could be pretty shocking to see this guy be like a six-win player to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I don't really necessarily blame them, even if I think they might be overstating it a little bit. Just because when you're a national guy, it's kind of hard to keep super close tabs on every team and every player and to know like every little thing that's going on. You kind of just look at the stats and you see that Bogarts kind of has been the same guy for a few years in a row. Um. So, like I said, I I don't know. I don't really hold it against him too much. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch, that's for sure. Um, we all hope the jump happens. Uh, biggest disappointment. There was probably the least consensus in this category of any of the categories. You had Xander Bogarts. Brian had JBJ. Mike had Craig Kimbrell. I had Drew Pomerantz. Phil had Brock Holt, which I don't know where you're going with that one, Phil. <laughs> Uh, out of left field had Joe Kelly. Michelle had Hanley Ramirez. And the community agrees with Michelle. It is going to be Hanley Ramirez. Uh, what are your thoughts on Biggest Disappointment? Uh, so I picked Bogarts because I think that there is... I don't know if I'd necessarily predict it, but I think there's a better chance that he is the guy that we've seen the last few years um, than people in the OTM community are giving it credit for, and that was kind of what I had in mind. Um, I like Bogarts a lot. I think there's a decent chance that he breaks out like we think, but I also think there's a 
pretty good chance that he doesn't break out to the extent. It just seems like the hype is getting out of control a little bit, and uh, it scares me. I don't know, man. I think you might be wrong on this one. This one I hope you're I wrong hope so. on, and I know you hope you're wrong on it too. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see. But Bogey is the X factor. Like, if he does break out, if, if we get a 5-6 war season from Bogey this year, as well as a bounce back from Betts in what we expect from J.D. Martinez, I mean, this team is a legitimate World Series contender. Yeah, I am um, pulling something up right now. I had something I was working on that I may still actually write. I don't know if I'm ever going to get around to it, but I kind of did a rough draft of the players I thought were the most important, and I had, yeah, I had Bogart second. Uh, I had Price. Oh, Price. Price. Okay. Yeah, I think Price kind of is the game changer, but I mean, they both are. So, yeah, maybe I'll write that someday so I won't go deep, too deep into it right now. But Bogarts that makes is a lot important. of sense. I mean, like, if, if you think about it, Matt, like, you're absolutely right. Betts, Sale, JD, like, those guys are bankable assets. But if you get four, five, six win seasons out of Xander and Price, that pushes this team to a new stratosphere. Yeah, that was pretty much my logic. Yeah. Hard to hard to disagree with that. So last category here we had in um, superlatives was unsung hero. Uh, I am going to jump right into this and uh, <laughs> take my, uh, my, my, my victory lap here. Uh, I had Blake Swihart. No one else on the staff had Blake Swihart, but community, you smart, beautiful people. You believed with me with 23% of the vote. That was and, the best vote. The, yeah. Uh, he, had, he beat him by one. He beat Christian Vasquez by one vote. One vote. So, Phil, you were close. You were close. <laughs> um, that is pretty cool, though. I, I like that people are hyped about Blake Swihart. And I, I think clearly there are people listening to this podcast. So I'm getting people hyped about Blake Swihart. But, I mean, the guy's getting hyped by himself. The guy's raking. He's doing awesome. Um Hopefully he's going to be a really important part of this club this year. I am so excited to see him play baseball. Yeah, I uh, am not as excited as you, but I'm mildly excited about it as well. I like your pick a lot, though, Matt. If I was going to pick anybody else on this list, so here are some of the guys. Matt went with Brian Johnson. Brian went with Bobby Pointer, predictably. Mike went with Eduardo Nunez. Uh, Phil went with Christian Vasquez. Out of left field, went with Brian Johnson, and then Michelle went with Vasquez. Um, Brian Johnson has looked really sharp this spring. He looks like sort of the player that we thought that the best version of Brian Johnson could look like at some point. Back when he was a prospect, this is, you know, we're talking about when he was at his top hype, you know, pre-anxiety issues, all the stuff that he's had to deal with over the last few years. And now he's pitching like that again. And it is really cool to see. I'm super excited to see him play baseball this year. Yeah, um, I think my logic here was uh, versatility. Um, we talk a lot about versatility with position players, like guys like Holt and Swihart, but we don't really talk about versatility with pitchers. But Johnson's going to be presumably going back and forth between the rotation of the bullpen, depending on um, how healthy guys are. And if he can be effective in that role and be able to transition like that, that's a huge asset to be able to have a guy who can kind of do all that. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this podcast before, but 
um, Alfredo Aceves in 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. I forget what year. Uh, he had a ridiculous year. It's my favorite pitching season of all time. Uh, he started. He was a long reliever. He was a closer. He was a setup man. And he had a 2-6-1 ERA in all those roles in 114 innings. And if Johnson can kind of be something similar like that, um, that's really something that people don't appreciate, but it can be immensely valuable for roster building. That's an amazing point. That season by Aceves is certainly not talked about enough. Now that you mention it, I, I just started to get those memories flooding back of Alfredo yeah, Aceves incredible. that year. Yeah. Yeah, he he was he was he fell apart shortly after that season, but he uh, yeah that I've you know, I've said it in a lot of places, but that is uh, probably other than like Pedro vintage Pedro, that's my favorite pitching season of all time. That's crazy. That's crazy that you put it that high. I mean, I love yeah. it. I love it. I absolutely love it, and I love I love you appreciating the versatility, and I think that that is completely underrated. There's something to be said for a guy who goes out there in whatever role he is given and performs. And Aceves absolutely did that. And I think you're right. Brian Johnson has the capability to do something similar to that. It's not like Aceves was an otherworldly pitcher. He just was he was a smart pitcher. He used his stuff to the best of his ability and he had an awesome year. So I, I could definitely see that happening and that would be awesome. Um Anything else that we should get to before we jump into listener questions, Matt? Uh, no, I think we got things covered. Probably, maybe. Probably, yeah. Uh, we're probably there. Uh, anyway, we got a ton of listener questions today from you guys, so thank you so much. Everybody's obviously fired up for opening day like us, and as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to watch West Coast baseball. Um, so that's always a good thing. Uh, first question tonight comes from Eamon Allen Duco. Uh, friend of the podcast, so Eamon, thank you for submitting another question. Uh, he says, can you all delineate some of the tangible differences between Cora and Farrell? Matt, do you want to start us off? Anything you noticed this game in particular that are differences? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of know the stuff they've been talking about with um, aggressiveness at the plate and things like that, but what I noticed is that he's really taking it seriously, um, resting guys early, and it seems like that's going to be a priority all year, not really pushing everybody and kind of saving energy and also communicating uh, with the players that that's what's going to happen and making sure that it's clear at all times uh, what the goals are and what the plans are. So I don't think Farrell was the greatest at communicating things like that, and it already seems like Cora has the ears of the players a little bit more. I totally agree with you. I think that he is such a better manager of people, uh, even just in this one-game snapshot. And the thing that sticks out to me about this is looking at the way he constructed his lineup, Uh, having Mookie Betts, uh, Andrew Benintendi, and then three righties in a row. uh, He didn't give a shit about that righty-lefty thing that Farrell was so, you know, entrenched with. And I think that that sort of puts a lot of pressure on guys. Guys feel like they have to hit in a certain spot, and I think that Cora is going to approach this lineup construction by feel, like the way that players feel hitting in front or behind of each other. uh, I think he's going to tinker with it based on that, and I don't think he cares where these guys hit as long as they're hitting, and I think that so much of baseball has this emotional element to it. It has this whole thing to do about confidence and 
you feel good hitting in your spot all the time or wherever it is and you don't want to have to worry about handedness and switches and all that shit all the time. I mean, it's enough to worry about hitting a baseball coming in close to 100 miles an hour or a slider that looks like Chris Sales. Luckily, they don't have to hit that. But, you know, it's hard enough. And I think that he takes the thinking out of it uh, where Farrell did not. Yeah, I think I think that's true of some players. I think some players do think a lot and it works for them. Um JD Martinez is a legitimate student of hitting, but I think Cora is good, or it seems like him and his coaching staff are good at figuring out who is what kind of player and what they need. Um, just basic communication with players. I think Farrow was really good at defending his players to the media and kind of taking bullets for players. And we don't really have. We haven't really had a chance to see what core is like in that aspect, and that's important to be a manager in Boston. But in terms of player-manager communication, I would say that core is looking a little bit better early on. Yeah, definitely something to monitor, but I agree with you. It seems that way. Uh, question two comes from Otis Hart. Uh, I love that Otis has put Swy in front of Hart. <laughs> I knew you'd like that. Uh, you are all, already my favorite. Um, and he says, so you've watched the game. Did the Red Sox swings look immediately different under Tim Hires, the new hitting coach? Uh, Matt, did you notice anything right away? I didn't. Um, I won't lie. I'm not usually the first to notice a mechanical change. Um, that's just not me. Somebody mentioned to me that they thought Betts' hands look higher. I didn't have a chance to check on that so do with that what you will but um like i said before i noticed that they were a lot more aggressive and that's something i notice just mechanics aren't really my thing i'm not good at it i won't pretend to be yeah i totally agree with you uh i'm definitely not a mechanical expert either i think this is the type of thing that we might be able to notice over many games many sample sizes um Neither of us have got a chance to really hyper-analyze this game yet. Um, so even if we were an expert in mechanical things, we wouldn't probably be able to see after one viewing. Tomorrow uh, I'll look at Betts. I'll compare some video when I have a little bit of time tomorrow afternoon. But um, that's something that, some, like I said, somebody pointed that out to me. I Even if it's true, I don't know if it is or not. But it's not something I would have noticed at first, but it's definitely something I'll look into. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of merit to it. I mean, J.D. Martinez is obviously a product of this type of thinking, and Alex Spear wrote a really good article talking about how the Red Sox are finally getting into launch angle stuff, and I think it is something to continue to monitor, but I do agree with you, Matt. The thing that was 100% noticeable right off the bat was Cora's influence of hunting pitches. Um, that happened immediately and often today. Yeah. And I think um, I've gotten yelled at for doing this, and I think it's a fair criticism, so I'll yell at you for a second. Um, it's not just Cora. Tim Hires is part of it, too. Yeah. So he deserves a little bit of credit, too. Absolutely, yeah. I've had, like, five people yell at me for attributing that only to Cora, so yeah. <laughs> trying to be better about it. That's fair. That is absolutely fair. Tim Hires is a professional and a good one at that, so we got to give him credit. Uh, Jim Foley comes to us with his next question, and it says, uh, what is the future of Michael Chavis? First, second, where does this guy play? Um, Matt, you want to hit this one first? Uh, sure. I think it's totally dependent on if he's with the Red Sox or not. I think if he gets traded, 
there's a good chance he could stick at third base for a few years. If he's with the Red Sox, I don't think there's much of a chance at all that he's going to play third base because Rafael Devers is there. So the only real spot for him with the Red Sox would be first base. Yeah, I'm sort of torn on this one. Um, I have just a, a feeling that Chavis is the type of piece that Dombrowski will move just because he doesn't have this clear fit, and I think he'd probably rather let some other team figure that out um, and you know get a good reliever at the deadline or something like that for, for Chavis. Um, I'm going to say that long-term he probably ends up at – first base still uh, even though he is a little bit undersized but at this point it's it's hard to tell the defense just hasn't looked great at third base uh, at any point and I know that he's still a pretty young guy but I don't know if I don't know if that's solvable I um I haven't seen him I uh he sat every time I went to a sea dogs game after he got called up last year but I've talked to I've talked to some people who say there's no way he's playing third base I've talked to other people who say that he's not as bad as the reputation is and that he'll be able to fake it there for a good, for most of the time a team has control of him. So, mm. I don't know. There's differing opinions, at least. Yeah, it's 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 certainly uh, something that is going to be up in the air because I, I remember even last year uh, talking to some of the Sox prospects guys and when we mentioned the possibility of him playing first, they were pretty skeptical of that, and that happened. So, I mean, maybe second is even in the cards for this guy. Who knows? I he can't could be in that. You, you don't think so? You don't think he could be in that Dan Ugla mold? Uh, no. I mean, uh, everything I know about him is that he can, he might be able to handle third base because reaction times and he's a solid arm, and that doesn't really help you at second base. You need no. range. I don't know that he has the range. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but yeah. I can't really see it. Yeah, it's 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 tough. Who knows? I guess the question, the answer here, Jim, is it just—it's all about his bat. If yeah. he hits, somebody will find a place for him. If he doesn't, then there will be no place for him. Well, this leads nicely into our next question from Two Minute Warning, and it says, "Which position could the Red Sox?" Uh, improve the most throughout the year. How will this happen if they do choose to improve at this position? Uh, for me, Matt, I'm going to tackle this right off the bat, and I think we saw it tonight. It is relief. Uh, I think the biggest gap between the Red Sox and other top-tier clubs is not the lineup. It is not the starting pitching. Uh, it is still the fact that when you compare them to other top bullpens, they're still lacking a little bit. So I think that that could be the place that they improve, and it could be from leveraging some of those future assets like Michael Chavis. Yeah, I think that's probably the right answer, although I mean, if these guys all pitch to their potential, this is a sick bullpen. Carson Smith, Tyler Thornburg comes back healthy and effective, which I'm not really expecting, but it's not impossible. Um, So to change up from you, I guess I will say first base even though i'm a hanley ramirez believer i would say that's the only other position that i could see needing improvement i'm not the biggest mitch moreland fan i'm definitely not the biggest Sam travis fan i don't really expect michael chavis to be ready this year so i think it's i don't think it's impossible i mean um for first base to be a need at the trade deadline 
Joey Votto, it's finally happening this year, baby. <laughs> it wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't go hanging my hat on that, but it would be pretty sweet. That's my ultimate Red Sox trade. I, I'm just going to put that out here right now. If I could pick anybody to get traded to the Red Sox. What? No, I'm, I'm not even joking with you. I freaking love Joey Votto. Yeah, we I, all love Joey Votto, but I mean, Mike Trout's still a guy that exists, you know? Mike, Mike Trout exists, but tell me this. Would you rather watch... A Mike Trout at bat or a Joey Votto at bat? Because for me, it's not even remotely close. Oh, my God. What? No, no, Mike Trout is the best hitter in baseball, and he is a great fielder and a great baseman. This is a crazy conversation. I'm talking about just a pure at bat, Matt. The way that Joey Votto sees the zone is not human. Yeah, but then I watch Mike Trout hit, like, a high fastball 500 feet <laughs> in, like, dead West Coast air and... Uh, back on the Mike Trout train. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't fault you with arguably one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, I mean, if it, any conversation like remotely related to this, the answer is just Mike Trout, and then you move on. <laughs> it's hard to argue with that, but I freaking love Votto, man. He's Votto amazing. is pretty great. He's and he's just such a funny guy. Um, all right, next listener question here comes from Roy Richard, and it says, "How great was Sale today?" Matt, how great was Sale today? Sale was, uh, Chris Sale did some Chris Sale things. It was pretty great. Yeah, that slider was filth. The The fastball wasn't quite what we expect from him, but we'll take it at this point. It's it's such a treat to have a real ace on this team, and potentially two with David Price, depending on how healthy he is. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome to have Chris Sale. Nothing... Nothing much you can say about that. I tell you what, I don't lose any sleep about Yuan Mankata. Not at all. No. But I do like Mankata still. Sure. Shout out to Yuan Mankata. Yeah. Hope, hope, hope the best for the kid, but thank you for Chris Sale. Um, <laughs> Trevor Shackles, next question. He says, who do you think we could be talking about way differently by the end of April? Ooh, this is a good one. This is a really good question, actually. Uh, Matt, what do you think? I think you know my answer. Uh-oh. It's going to be handling. Hanley. That's why I mean that's Yeah, I I'm a Hanley believer. I'm gonna go to the grave believing in Hanley. I don't know. I think I mean I legitimately believe in it. I don't want this to sound like I'm just making this up because I want it. Um but also there's like nobody on this team that's as fun when they're good as Hanley. Even like Mookie Betts, just like the attitude Hanley gives off when he's having a good time and he's like into it is just it's like contagious. Yeah, I, I just want that so bad. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, good Hanley is one of the most fun things in baseball. Totally, yeah. totally agree. I think 2016 was uh, a great uh, mm-hmm. e- exhibit of that. Um, for me, I think the guy who we could be talking about very differently by the end of April is David Price. Uh, after three, four starts from Price. If they're good, I think we could be talking about this as a legitimate two-headed monster at the top of this rotation uh, that can really impact this year. Yeah, see, this is another instance where I'm heavily influenced by kind of being in a little bit of an echo chamber because a lot of the people I've talked to about the Red Sox are kind of already banking on Price being that guy. Um so I agree with you that the general public will be thinking about David Price that way. I think a lot of people are already expecting him to be that 
the at least have the best year he's had since coming to the Red Sox. Matt, we got to get you a vacation out of Red Sox Twitter here, man. <laughs> it's not even uh, Twitter. I, I mean, for reasons that are unrelated to baseball, I try to not to spend that much time on Twitter anymore. Um, it's mostly the comment section at OCM mm. that is influencing me these days. Which I absolutely love, though. Shout out to the OTM community. You guys make baseball really fun. and uh, Certainly better than uh, sports radio callers. So, yeah, uh, that's for damn sure. It's, it's, it's probably one of the best communities out there on the internet. So big props to the OTM community. Uh, next question here comes from Trace, and he says, playoffs slash World Series predictions. Matt, who you got? Uh, let's see. I had to do this. I hate doing this, but I had to do this for BP. So let's see. Uh, AL divisions. I had Astros, Indians, Red Sox, wild cards. I had Yankees, Angels, uh, National League divisions. I had Dodgers, Cubs, Nationals, wild cards, Diamondbacks, Cardinals, World Series. I had the Indians over the Nationals. Okay. Well, to save some time here. Uh, I had exactly the same thing as Matt, except for in the National League, I had the Brewers and the Cardinals making it, and the D-backs not making it to the playoffs, as those guys were both my wild cards. Uh, And for my World Series, I have Washington Nationals over the Red Sox. Sorry, Red Sox. Uh, I I hope it doesn't happen, but I kind of think it's going to. Better than I had them. Yeah. Uh, next question here comes from Gordon Comstock, which is this a reference to Bioshock? I think it might be the video game. I don't really play video games. All right. Well, let me know Gordon (laughs) Comstock if this is, uh, because Bioshock was a truly delightful game to play. I just got, uh, my first system newer than N64, uh, for when I went Black Friday shopping. So did you get a PS4? No, I wanted a PS4, but they were sold out, and the sale ended in like six hours, and I wasn't going to buy it if I didn't get it on sale, so I just bought an Xbox. Uh, you can't play the show, though. Yeah, that's, well, that's why I wanted the PS4, but I didn't want to spend an extra $200 no. just to play that. So That makes sense. Um, so Gordon Com- Comstock, he, he asks, how much do you think the intense media market here negatively impacts the chances of young guys wanting to sign extensions? Uh, I'm going to tackle this one first, Matt. I actually don't think that it negatively impacts uh, guys wanting to sign extensions. At the end of the day, I think that what it comes down to is do these guys feel valued by the team and the way you feel valued is by what they offer you um, and, you know, sort of the success that you have here. So if Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts put up really good seasons and the team makes at market or above market offers to these guys they're gonna sign uh i don't i don't really buy into the fact that that boston's some big pressure cooker that people are afraid of especially not guys who have already had success here like the young players on this team yeah i think that's right 99 percent of the time um people are different i think there's probably i i don't have like specific names in mind but i think there are people that would not want to be involved with that that's just not really their thing and if they had a choice to go somewhere else they would um but like i said i think most of the time it's all about the money if you give them the money that they think they deserve that's what it's going to come down to pay dollars man show me the money 
Um, Worcester Red Sox here, and shout out to Worcester Red Sox. Worcester is my hometown. Uh, I really hope that the uh, Paw Sox move to Red to Worcester. That would be amazing. Oh man, everyone in Rhode Island just hates us right now. I know. I'm really sorry, guys, but Maine South, proud of it. Um, <laughs> Worcester Red Sox. He says, uh, on second thought, Cora should probably have gone to the replay on the bets pickoff. What do you think? Matt, I actually didn't see this play because I was in the middle of class during this play, and I haven't fully watched the game yet. So what do you think? It looked really close. Um, It looked like, and the broadcast kind of agreed, that Betts told him in the dugout not to challenge it. Mm. So when the player involved says don't challenge it, I don't think you can really blame the manager for not challenging it. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, last question of the night comes from Robert. Uh, has a good Twitter handle, Hanging Sinker. I like that. Um, Joe Kelly. <laughs> yeah, Joe not, Kelly. Not this time. But... Or Porcello. You pick your Red Sox pitcher. Uh, is God Alex damn. Cora on the hot seat? Please don't take it seriously. Um, this is kind of funny, uh, though, because people are already kind of pissed at Alex Cora about leaving Kelly in too long. Uh yeah, let me uh today was awesome that baseball started. Today was also a reminder that I kind of forgot how crazy the over the monster mentions on Twitter can be. Uh after this game, it is just insane. People are crazy mad at Cora. Um I think he did a couple things wrong in this game, but jeez, guys. Chill. Yeah, They're boy. like yeah, pace yourselves. It's going to be a long year. I'm going to oh. – there were times last year where I just wanted to cry sometimes, and it's just – it's I'm, I'm the real victim here is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, Matt, I can offer you a shoulder <laughs> to cry on whenever you want. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of 162. I, I think we cannot even begin to judge Cora at all. And I, that being I, said, I have like 1,200 words on Alex Cora being published on uh, Friday, in Friday morning, so read that, please. <laughs> all right, shoot me. Don't even listen to this <laughs> point at all. <laughs> um, with that, though, we are super psyched that baseball is back. Uh, we are going to be with you this whole season with great guests. Uh, we're going to bring in people from the media. We're going to bring in people to talk about prospects. Uh, All that stuff is going to happen this year. It's going to be a great year. And if you are a Red Sox fan, this is where you need to be. So please uh, log on. Follow Matt on Twitter at MattRYCollins. Follow the Over the Monster site at Over the Monster. Uh, And also follow me at DevJake. Uh, We are going to be tweeting about the Red Sox all year long. And then also subscribe to this show. In in my humble opinion, this is the best Red Sox podcast out there. Um, So, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you can get uh, podcasts. And rate and review us if you so desire. Uh, Give us a good rating and help us get in other people's ears. Um, And, yeah, we will be with you next week as scheduled. And uh, hopefully with a few more wins under... Or a few wins, I should say. Not a few more. A few <laughs> wins under our belt uh, for this season. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today on opening day. And uh, baseball's back, baby. <laughs>